So in John 14, you'll notice, and it's familiar passages to us, you'll notice Jesus telling his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. There would be many reasons that the disciples would be troubled at this time. Mainly, they didn't understand why Jesus was speaking the way he was about leaving them. And also, how that the intensity against the life of Jesus was building. And so, if Jesus was going to build a kingdom on earth, then why does it seem like, uh, he's, why does he keep saying, I'm going to leave? And why does it seem like he's not going to be around uh, very much longer. And so they're quite confused, and Jesus is going to try to help them uh, with these matters. John uh, 14 through 16, chapters 14, 15, and 16, is uh, one of Jesus' final farewell uh, addresses before the cross. And in fact, Jesus is speaking here from Jerusalem basically the very night before uh, he will be hanging on the cross. For our purpose, we want to focus on the fact that he mentions troubled hearts here. Troubled hearts. Let not your heart be troubled. And then he gives the remedy for it right away. He says, uh, if you believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. Well, we're going to stop right there. I know there's more to his answer than simply believe in me, but I want to focus on that. Basically, Jesus says... The remedy for your troubled heart is to believe in me. To believe in me. Faith in Christ. But we can't have faith in Christ unless we learn about Christ. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So we can't have faith in Christ unless we learn, continually learn more and more about him and from him. And so that's what we're doing here with John 14. It's simply learning more things about Christ and, and who he is and what he would have us uh, to know. So on your paper here, you'll notice nine uh, little suggestions that will help us to begin to know um, and continue to know things about Christ. Okay. And so we'll go through this worksheet, and I hope to uh, leave a time for you to make comments uh, after we get through filling in our blanks here. Okay. So let's begin. The first main idea here from Jesus is to look and see that he taught uh, with both uh, love and truth, love and truth, or to say it another way, uh, with comfort and conviction. So uh, either of the, any of those words are appropriate there. Uh, he taught with both love and truth, uh, comfort and conviction. Notice here at the beginning of the chapter, he is trying to, to calm their hearts. Okay, that's his comfort. And he even speaks of the, the greatest comfort of all, to be in the Father's house when, after he comes again. Okay. That's great comfort. But then uh, he gets rather pointed in John 14, verse 6, uh, when he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man uh, comes unto, unto the Father except uh, through me. And so notice that in the same breath, Jesus uh, produces in his teaching both comfort and conviction. And that is a great uh, pattern for us as well. Look over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16. And notice how this is brought out in verses 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians 16. 
13 and 14, Paul concluding his uh, writings, or at least his first letter to the church at Corinth. In chapter 16, 13, he says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. And then he says, Be strong. And then verse 14, And let all that you do be done in love. So notice again that that happy blending of both love and truth, compassion and conviction, uh, being strong in the faith, strong in the teachings of the Lord, but also being loving as, as we conduct our lives and as we even speak uh, the truth. One you might add there, of course, is Ephesians 4, uh, 15, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love. Number two here, uh, Jesus uh, often divided people into two categories. Jesus often divided people into two categories. So noticing his statement here in John 14, verse 6, no man comes unto the Father except through me, then that basically is implying that there are two groups of people on earth. Those who take the claims of Jesus and believe them and adjust their lives accordingly, and then those who do not. Some listening to his words will, will take them to heart, and then they will make the changes in their life they need to make, and then they will follow him faithfully. That's one group of people. And then, of course, the other, other group is those who would not do that. Jesus often divided people into two categories like this. Notice on your paper, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 7, 13, and 14, he divides uh, people into those who walk the narrow way and those who, um, those who walk the uh, broad way. And then in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, you remember he divides people into those who are prepared, you know, those who are not prepared, those who are prepared like the wise virgins, virgins and those who are not prepared like the foolish virgins. And then Matthew 25, 31 to 46, he divided... Uh, people into the sheep and the goats. You recall that. In John 5, 28 and 29, he said, Marvel not at this. The time is coming when all that are in the tombs will hear my voice and shall come forth. Those have done good unto the resurrection of life, and those have done evil unto the resurrection of condemnation. So he divides people into two groups that are good and evil. There's an interesting little statement that, that Peter makes in 1 Peter 4, 17. He says, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it first begins with us, what shall be the outcome of those who obey not the gospel? So Peter seems to be following Jesus there and dividing uh, into two groups of people. Those who would obey the gospel would be part of the house of God. And those who do not obey the gospel would not be part of the house of God. So you're either in the house or you're not. Uh, you either obey or you do not. And so... Notice how Jesus uh, does this. All right. That's number two. Number, th number three. The ways of Jesus are singular. Singular. S-I-N-G-U-L-A-R. Singular. And you see this from the word the in John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus, of course, is, is um, 
not saying that he is one of many ways or that he is one of many sources of truth or that he is one of many sources of life, spiritual life. He is the way to life. He is the way to the Father. He is the truth. He's the, the way. And so we see that rather uh, clearly there. But it's important to point that out and it's important for us to uh, relate this uh, to those, of course, who are coming up in our households and also those with whom we can come in contact. Jesus is not one of many options, but rather he is the option. And we cannot afford uh, to be without him. Let's glance over to Hebrews uh, 10. If you're not already over there, Hebrews 10. Notice here in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. 19 through 22. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed uh, with pure water. The reason that we can come boldly unto the throne, the reason we can come close to the Lord is because Jesus has paved the way through his blood there. And that's why he is the singular way to the Lord. And no one else can, has, has filled that role. No one else could ever have filled uh, that particular role. A spot in history. And you remember Acts 4 and verse 12, Peter preaching in behalf of the Lord in Jerusalem. Notice what he says, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Notice that the ways of Jesus are uh, singular. Singular. You remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples, recorded in Matthew 16, he said, Upon this rock I will build what? My church. My church. And when we say something like that, that always refers to something that's singular. I'm going to pick up my car. I'm going to take off my hat. And we know what he means when he says this. The ways of Jesus are singular. Number four, Jesus is the only way home. Number four, Jesus is the only way home. Again, chapter 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6. Jesus says, no man comes. Emphasize there in your mind the word comes. No, no man comes unto the Father except through me. Notice the word comes there. That implies that mankind is away from God. Generally speaking, all of us at some point in our lives, we were away from God and we know why that is. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says sin has made that separation. So we're away from God. And 
that points out that we need to come to God because of our sin. We need to come. And it implies also that we have the ability to come, to listen, to learn, and to come to the Lord. We remember Jesus' words in Matthew 11 and 28. Come unto me, what does he say there? Come unto me what? All right. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what mankind needs to do. That's what. That's why. Um, that's why the Lord is the Lord, and that's the call of the gospel for us to come to the Father through uh, His Son. Jesus is the only way, only way home. John five verse forty says something like. Um, you could have life, Jesus speaking to the Jews, you could have life, but you refuse to come to me. That's kind of a paraphrase of it, but the idea there is they, they had Jesus right in front of them. They had the scriptures within their reach. They had the intelligence to, to look and reason and see, uh, but they refused to come uh, to Jesus. Jesus is the only way home. All throughout history, Man has not ever been allowed to approach God directly. In the old times, during the times of Abraham, Noah, and Joseph, the patriarchal system, God communicated to the heads of the family, and then the head of the family then would communicate to everyone else. Okay. Everybody just couldn't go directly to God. And then with the nation of Israel, you know this, and God separating the nation of Israel to, to bring the Savior into the world, well, during the time of the nation of Israel, uh, they approached God through the law of Moses. Moses was a prophet, and he brought the law to them, and also through the Levit Levitical priesthood uh, system as well. So they, but they couldn't go to the Lord uh, directly. And so even today, uh, we can't go to God directly, but thankfully we can go to him through Christ. Because Christ shed his blood and he created this new and living way in which we now can draw near. What a grateful thought that is. What an important thought that is. When we think about worship, we think about prayer, we think about just walking and knowing that the Lord is with us. The fact that he's created this way for us to have an intimate walk with God is uh, it's very special. Something that we don't need to take for granted. Jesus is the only way home. That's number four. Number five. Being without Christ. Number five. Being without Christ is the greatest tragedy. Being without Christ is the greatest uh, tragedy. Perhaps your thoughts are already at Ephesians chapter 2. In verses 11 and 12, Paul mentions that we ought to remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, have been made, brought near by the blood of Christ. But notice that if we are without Christ, 
then we have no hope in this world. It's the greatest tragedy of all. It's worse than anything else we could think of. If you look on your paper here, Mark 5, 1 through 19, mentions a time when Jesus healed a man who um, was possessed by demons. And the man was of such a horrid nature that he had to live out by himself among the tombs at a, at a cemetery. Okay. This man had no friends. He had no friends. But being without Christ is worse than having no friends. In Luke 16, we, we've been studying that lately, Luke 16, 19 and following, the, the rich man and, and Lazarus. And we remember Lazarus was laid at the gate of, of the rich man. He had, he had no means. He had no money. But being without Christ is worse than having no, no money. In Mark chapter 5, also in verse, around verse 25-26, a woman followed Jesus who had an issue of blood. You remember her? Issue of blood. And it comments there that she had spent all her living on doctors, physicians. She just didn't have, she had bad health. Being without Christ is worse than not having health. Being without Christ is worse than not having any friends, even though we would never wish that on anybody. Being without Christ is worse than not having money. We wouldn't wish that on anyone. Being without Christ is worse than, than not having your health. It's the greatest tragedy uh, known to man. And it is because of who he is and, and what he has done. And I'll leave that to all of us. We can get into that a little bit further. But think about who he is and what he's done. And that kind of brings up brings to our mind, cements within our heart how tragic it is to be without him. Being without Christ is the greatest uh, tragedy. Number six, uh, without Christ, we are lost. We are lost. Because he says, I am the way. I am the way. John 14, verse 6. Since he says I am the way, then being without Christ means that we are, we're lost. What is it that most frustrates you when you lose something? Or let me say it this way. What item, when you lose it, most frustrates you? Turn, what turns your day upside down most? Sometimes we'll lose our keys. You have never done that, have you, keys? You have. Uh, that can be terribly frustrating if you're ready to go. You gotta go. You gotta go. Um, been a couple times where we needed to go, and our our little puppy dog, uh, we just weren't seeing. We, we let the little puppy dog out, and then to put put her or him back in, and then we just don't see it. And if you lose your puppy dog, you need to be somewhere else, and that can be uh, frustrating. People have lost their wallets. But maybe the most frustrating thing today is your phone. Phone. Does that turn your day upside down if you can't find your phone? We're, we're very attached to our phones. 
The idea of losing something is, is um, well, it just turns your world upside down. But to lose our soul, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. But to be lost ourselves is, um, is a terrible thought. I know some of you, it happens about every parent when, you're li- when your little one is little and they're walking. They, we, we, we look forward to the day they can walk, but then there's the day that they can walk. And then you, all of a sudden you turn around, they're not there. And it's a, it, it drives a hole in your heart for at least a few seconds when they're not there. But nothing compares to the losing of the soul. Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Remember when the prodigal came home, there in Luke 15, the elder brother was having trouble about this party being thrown for the younger brother. And the father explained to the older brother. He said, it's right for us to rejoice. For this, your brother, he was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. Amazing grace. It's amazing because I once was lost. But now I'm found. Jesus is the way. And without him... Uh, we're just we're just lost, and that's the condition of the world. The world has no hope, and if we have even a little of the compassion that God has, then we would want to to see as many as possible be introduced to our Lord and His gospel. Right. Number seven. I'm going to go through these, and now give give everyone a chance uh, to respond uh, to this chapter and to to these ideas. But number seven, without Jesus, we are mistaken or we're in error because it says, Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the truth. I am the way, the truth. So without Jesus, we're, we're, we're just uh, following false things. We're mistaken about everything because he is the truth. The passages I put down here refer to the fact that it's possible for one to be walking uh, away from the Lord and not having the knowledge he needs to have. Matthew 22, 29, Jesus in a discussion with the Sadducees, they didn't understand the resurrection from the dead. They didn't really believe in the resurrection from the dead. He said, you do err, Matthew 22, 29, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. The scriptures predicted the resurrection from the dead and the power of God is sufficient uh, to carry that out. How is it that the Sadducees could not believe in the resurrection if they believed that God created the world? They believed in, in Genesis. They believed in Moses. Why couldn't they believe in the resurrection? If God can bring us here, and why can't he take us somewhere else and create a new body uh, for us? But Jesus said to them, You do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. It is said early on about Jesus in John 1.17 that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And these other passages having to do in the Timothy uh, letters, Paul just warning Timothy about false teachers 
and saying they have erred from the truth, 2 Timothy 2, 18. Uh, they've erred concerning their faith. Uh, he even makes reference in, uh, to Timothy that some have made shipwreck of their faith. Uh, it is possible to, to uh, be walking around um, uh, needing the knowledge and not knowing that you need the knowledge you don't have. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and so without him... Uh, we're we are mistaken. Let's read the passages from the passage from First John. Turn with me, please, to First John, chapter four. We haven't read from First John in a while. First John, chapter four. Let's start in verse four. Let's just start in verse one because. Several good things are brought out here. First John 4, we'll read 1 through 6. First John 4, 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets are gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which, is, which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God, underline that, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John there is relating to the authority the apostles had in those days. He is an apostle. John is. So Jesus had endowed them with the ability to speak the truth uh, without error. And so we must follow the Lord and his word and his ways. And then uh, by doing that we will continue to walk in the spirit of truth and not in the spirit of error. You can see that there. First John chapter 4 and verse 6. Number 8. Without Jesus we are dead. Since Jesus said I am the truth, the way, the truth, the life, since he's alive, if we are without him, then we are dead in our sins. That's what these passages are saying. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 speaks of us speaks of us before Christ, before our conversion to Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Colossians 2.13 also bears that out. 1 Timothy 5 verse 6 speaks of one who is alive but dead. Okay. Alive but dead. Many are in that situation that they're alive physically, but they're dead uh, spiritually. Revelation 3.1, Jesus to the church at Sardis, I believe it was, said, you have a name that lives, but you're dead. You're dead. And so we don't want to be in that situation ever, but that is the possibility. Without Jesus, we are dead. I love this passage. Let's go back and read together John 1, verse 4. John 1, verse 4. You have it? Looking down, this is the introduction, of course, to John's biography of Jesus. 
But John 1, 4 says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of me. There's a lot of meaning packed into that little verse. And I encourage you to explore that. But it certainly means that Jesus is the source of both physical life, because He was in the beginning, but He's also the source of spiritual life. He is a light of men. We remember in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness. It's just a beautiful thought. So that's number eight. Without Jesus, we are dead. Let's just stop right there and see what comments you might have, what thoughts have come to your mind uh, in regard to uh, these promises of Jesus, these, these ideals that create faith in Jesus that will then... Help us deal with a troubled heart. What would you like to say about that? Sister Rogers saying, it's sad to think that you would think you're saved, but then you find out you're lost, but then it's too late when you find out that you're lost. That was, that's the situation that we read about in Luke 16 with the, the rich man. He, he spent so much time involved in his riches that once he got, once he got into torments, uh, he wanted to make adjustments and it could not be made. It's too late then. Anyone else? What? what? Say that Jesus runs counter to uh, much of the world today, where it says that uh, go on your journey, find your own way. That there's no such thing as absolute truth. You know, uh, find your own life. Um, you're the captain of your own ship. Go on your own journey. And here's Jesus speaking in absolutes. Andrew is saying that Jesus' uh, words here run counter to many, to many philosophies today, or to at least uh, the main philosophy is uh, that you're the captain of your own ship. Uh, you direct your own ways. Uh, I, have, I have my interpretation. I have my way of doing things. And I'm not going to interfere, interfere with you doing your way. I'm going to do my way. And that is a dominant thought out in our society today. To believe that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Everybody uh, just is on their own in regard to what kind of spiritual happiness you might find. And Jesus um, doesn't entertain those types of notions whatsoever. So that's a good thought. Uh, Jesus runs counter to the culture in, in that sense. Alright. So, not speaking about how, again, uh, putting off something that you know that you ought to do in, re in regard to being lost in the sight of Christ. That was the first funeral I've done. He shaved, he put it off, got his new boots and everything. God was falling in his hand. He never made his life So many thoughts here in John 14. I didn't want to just run through a bunch without 
giving the opportunity because your insights are often so good. So Jesus is, you can see, he's really trying to calm the hearts of his disciples here. I wanted us to, to be able to discuss this a little bit, especially in regard to the fact that many are, are upset at this time. Life seems to be uncertain and uneasy in, in uh, these times. And the remedy always is, of course, faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Mark's bringing out 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and, and sound mind. You want to make more comments on that? Well, it just seems like everybody is uh, believing the press and believing a lot of you know, a lot of, lot of things that are not true about this virus. And I'm not trying to downplay it in any way or anything like that, but for it to have caused churches to not be meeting and to have caused people not to come to church, and I'm not downplaying people who can't be here because they have, um, you know, physical limitations, the elderly or anything like that. But it's really showing, in, in my mind, it's showing a lack of faith in, in, in the brotherhood or in a lot of, even our denominational brethren. And it really bothers me. Mark is um, regretting all the fear that has, has grabbed hold of so many in, in our day. And... Um, what we need to do is, is just encourage all of us, uh, regardless of our situation, to, to just look to Jesus, keep looking to Him, and oftentimes He will bring forth uh, some, something about our faith that can be made stronger. Okay, so it's, um, and that's why I wanted to turn to this passage out. It's one of my favorite. I often read it at, at funerals. I often read it just for myself. Uh, it's a great promise of Jesus concerning the, the future. You know, there's coming a day when he will, he will meet us in the air. Uh, but uh, there's great hope with Jesus before that happens. And that has so much to do with our faith. Okay. So we've got about one or two minutes left. Anybody else want to um, bring out something from these, these passages? a lot more here, but um, I wanted you to be able to come in as well. Often, though, when we have worries like this, people will draw closer to God. So maybe this fear factor will make people think about their mortality and think about important things. You know, we don't have to have sports. Uh, I hope the virus will get us closer to God. I, I hope it will 
Okay. Uh, Sister Rogers is saying that um, this fear can uh, have a positive outcome. It help us to see that we our need for God, uh, our uh, our own mortality, and of course the fact that we can enjoy the simple things. And those simple things can often be the avenue toward greater faith. So, uh, very good thought there as well. We understand here that Jesus, um, we didn't really mention this very much, but there is some conversation going on here. Um, Thomas wants to know, you know, uh, how can we know the way? And then um, Philip joins in and says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, um, have I been with you this long? Uh, He that has seen me has seen the Father. There's some conversation going here, going on here, but eventually Jesus will just dive right into a longer discourse here in John 14, 15, 16. I appreciate very much you being in class. We'll take about a, a three-minute break as we get ready for our devotion. Thank you very, very much for working through some of these ideas in John chapter 14. And I encourage all of us to do the same thing.